0: He is risen. risen. Yep. (laughs) Do you believe that? You really believe that? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Some information that we get is too good not to share. Let me say that a different way. Some information that we gain in life must be shared. A week or so ago, I jumped in my car, and I was heading from the church to an appointment that I had, and I was flipping through the satellite radio because, you know, 130-something channels is not nearly enough to find something good to listen to. And uh, I landed on one of those news days. This global telescope, the Event Horizon Telescope. You may or may not be familiar with some of the terminology, and I'm going to save you the struggle of listening to me struggle to try to explain all of the scientific parts of this. But it is a global telescope system made up of at least eight that I know of, different global telescope locations that are all tied together, and these telescopes all tied together gave us the first image of what scientists call a black hole. Now, I did not realize that my life was incomplete before I saw that image. <laughs> I did not realize that that was one of those truths, one of those images rise to the level of information that I just had to have and yet it was treated that way, at least on that particular news station. Let me change that scenario a little bit for you to help you understand just how serious I am that some information must be shared. If you came up to me and said, you know, I discovered a cure for cancer six years ago and I just didn't really think it was important enough to tell somebody, then I would have had to plumb the depths of God's power to find the ability to forgive you for holding on to that kind of information. You understand what I'm saying? Some information is just too good not to share. So let me come back to my question. Do you really believe that Jesus rose again? Much less hearty response that time. You see, the reality is that when we come to the resurrection and resurrection day and the resurrection, we even know that when somebody says he is risen, the appropriate response is he is risen indeed, or in shorthand, yep. So, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture today that's tied to the resurrection But it's a a passage of Scripture that we don't... Let me just ask you to do this with me. I want you to, to just for a moment, right there where you are, draw a circle around yourself. Close your eyes if you have to do that. But in this crowd of, I I don't know, 70,000, 80,000 people or less, in this crowded room, I want you to get as alone as you can be who need to know the power of the risen Savior. Three people who today likely do not understand what we say when we say he is risen indeed. Three people that if their life was over this afternoon, they would go off into eternity without a personal relationship with the risen Lord. Three people. And then go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 28 because in Matthew chapter 28, we find this account of Easter morning. As these ladies, these followers of Jesus Christ make their way to that tomb expecting, well, we're not really positive about what they were expecting, but I know that they got much more than they expected, even if they expected not to find Jesus there. We come to this passage, and it begs the question for us, how much do I believe that Jesus is risen from the dead? Do I believe it enough to share that information with other people. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, we read these words, And now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for, a, for fear of him, the guards trembled And became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me there, or in there they will see me. When it comes to this good news, this piece of information Upon which all of eternity turns. Who are you telling? Do you believe it enough? Have you experienced it enough at a deep enough level in your life that this is something that must be told? Let's look at this, and I'd like to actually help you in two different ways today. If you really do believe this, and I believe that probably most of us, maybe even all of us in this room today, really, truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But when it comes to sharing this information with other people, we get a little bit hesitant. We might even get a little bit afraid, and that often paralyzes us, and we hold on to the best piece of information that most needed piece of information that every living person in this world needs to hear. So if you're not really sure what to say, let's take a couple of lessons out of this text, and then let's launch out into the post-Easter society of 21st century America and tell people this good news. The first thing you tell them is you tell them about your own experiences. Did you notice as I read through verses 1 through 7 there, the level of experience? Let me me just get you to do this. Try to inject yourself into that story. You are one of those women, or you're among the crowd, if you will. Let's let's form a crowd to, to follow along behind these women as they make their way on that morning to the tomb. What a series of events. They launch out. Again, think of... The, the, the emotions that they're feeling, the, the things that they've gone through over the previous three to five days, you put on top of that the previous three years plus a few months, these ladies take with them this incredible storage of information of this Jesus. Walked on water, healed people, taught at a level nobody had ever heard before, even raised people from the dead. And so that morning, fresh on their minds, is the the crucifixion of that one, the one who had no reason to be crucified, really, as far as they could tell. And yet those religious authorities and the Roman authorities thought it had to happen, and so they took Jesus and they nailed him to a cross. Some friends put him in a tomb and it's to that tomb that these ladies launch out on their way to the rest of their lives without this Jesus being alive anymore. And on the way, (laughs) they're treated to quite the show. Put yourself into their shoes as you're walking along and you come maybe right around the corner to where that tomb is and there's suddenly an earthquake. I don't know about you, but I'm... I'm chicken enough that if there's an earthquake, I'm running for cover. But I don't know where you find cover for an earthquake, really. And then on top of that, this angel shows up. Just, just picture that. See, we get so used to and and familiar with these details of the Easter story that we lose some of the wonder of this. But imagine that after all of those events, with all those things swimming in their mind and in their emotions, and they have this earthquake, and then suddenly there's an angel. I I don't know about you, but I run for cover when angels show up typically. Even the guards can't handle this, it says. It says. Then the angel starts to talk to him. I want you to put yourself in that scenario. Let me just ask you this question now. Based on all of that, would that be an event you would likely remember the rest of your life? Hello? <laughs> or is it just me? Because I'm thinking that's something that makes like the top four lists in my memories for my whole life. I think that that series of events is probably something that those ladies never, ever, ever would need to sit down and write it out so that they could get it right on the details. And then, when just about the time that they think they've seen all that they could see, they turn to run back to where the disciples are to do what they've been told, and lo and behold, there's Jesus. Can't help but wonder in the back of their minds if they were thinking, I thought he was dead. No, I know he was dead. And yet there he is. And they see him, and they hear him, and they touch him. Never again in their lives would anybody be able to argue them out of the truth of the resurrection. You see, there's something powerful about personal experience. As one wise person said, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And so we may in this world in which we live, this world full of skeptics, and many of them seem to have pretty good reason to be skeptical based on some of the people that they've known and some of the presentations that they've seen about what Christianity allegedly is, in that world that is so skeptical about the truth of Jesus Christ, when you have a personal experience with him. No, let me rephrase that. When you have a lifetime full of personal experiences with him, you have an experience to share. I find it significant that it is these ladies, of all of the disciples that we know about, it's these ladies that are given that first charge to say, go back there and tell those knucklehead disciples what has happened. A person who has an experience, a person with a lifetime of experiences with the risen Christ has a message to tell. This is the part where I, I tend to get a little bit um, judgmental, I guess, about how we handle these things in our churches most of the time. Because what it seems to to happen, based on my own experience and even some of my seminary education, you know, they sit us down in seminary and they say, okay, for you to graduate, you're going to have to take this personal evangelism class. Now, they do that because they know that most preachers would never sign up for that class. Maybe I'm revealing too much of the insides of the system here. In order to graduate, you have to have this personal evangelism class, and when we sit down in that personal evangelism class, they teach us as Southern Baptist ministers, they teach us the flavor of the day technique for doing personal evangelism. It's always a system. You have to memorize these things. There's an outline to it. You have to fill in the blanks and all that stuff. And their hope is that when we walk out of those classes, that we'll walk into our churches and do the same thing with our churches and say, okay, here's a course on what to say if you're giving some kind of an evangelistic witness to somebody else. And I say those are okay, but they are never a substitute for a personal experience with the risen Savior. When you stand face-to-face with a skeptic about who Jesus Christ is and the claims that he makes on their lives, they cannot argue with your personal experience of who this Savior is. You need to know some of those other things. Don't, don't take that too far. But the reality is, if we really are in the shoes of these ladies that news is too good not to tell. That telling of the good news of Jesus Christ becomes an overflow of the experience and the experiences that we have with the risen Savior. He's alive, and that's incredible information. Well, it's getting awfully quiet in here on an Easter Sunday, so perhaps I should move on. ladies teach us, I think, that the message that we have as an implication of Easter Sunday is a message of good news. We could go back to Christmas and all of those sayings that we love to quote at the time of the birth of Jesus and our celebration of that. I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. This Jesus is alive I don't, I don't know how to say that other than hallelujah. I don't, I'm not a hallelujah kind of guy. I don't use that word a whole lot. But when it comes to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his power that then is given to us in daily life, I don't know what else to say other than hallelujah, he is risen. So let's move on a little bit. And as a transition, let me just close off this little part about what you tell people is what your experience with Jesus is. If you happen to be here on Good Friday, you'll understand why these lights are over here. Uh, So let me, if you weren't here on Good Friday, let me just give you a recap very quickly. One of the things that I said in my part of the service was that we come to encounter the cross and we must do that alone. We may come in a crowd like this, but when it comes time for me to do business with the Savior, Jesus Christ, who was ma- nailed to a cross, not too much unlike that one. I have to do that alone because I recognize, I have to come to recognize it as my sin that caused Jesus to need to be crucified to cover the cost of sin for us. When it comes to encountering the Christ on the cross, you have to come alone. But when it comes... To to resurrection and the implications of that, you cannot keep it to yourself. You have to share that with other people. And so that pushed us over into these lights. And the idea of that whole setup there is that each one of those lights represents somebody who reflected the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but he also said to us, his disciples, You are the light of the world. And so each one of those lights might represent somebody in your life who grasped the importance of this particular sermon today. Reflecting the light of Jesus Christ into their part of the world, they impacted you. Some information is too good not to share. And the reality is, if you happen to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you've trusted him as your Savior, then you're one of those lights. So now I want you to go back to those three people I ask you to visualize who need Jesus Christ. You're their light. Well, he's really the only light there is. You just reflect his light into their world. So what do you tell people? Take a lesson from these ladies and you tell them about your experience with the risen Lord. And if you don't have that experience, then the message of Easter it's waiting to full bloom blossom in your life because Jesus died for you and he rose again from the dead to prove that he is God himself and that that resurrection power comes to bear on your sin and the penalty of it, but also... It digs down into your life, into your legs, and into your arms, and into your mouth, and the way you live your everyday life. He is risen indeed. Let's tell people. The second thing that I would share, and I'll be very brief with this one, as we go back to Matthew's narrative here, and there's another element of what we need to tell people, and that is we need to tell them what we've been instructed to tell them. I don't want to overblow this, but I don't want to understate it either. This comes from verse 7 and verse 10. Let me just read those two verses. Then the angel says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Jesus also says something to them, gives them directive. Do not be afraid. This is verse 10. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Jesus had made three different prophecies. I'm not going to take the time to read these passages, but three different times in Matthew, Jesus had said to these disciples, I'm going to be killed, and in three days I'm going to rise again. I think that sets up a key truth for us. These ladies go to the tomb. They find the fulfillment of prophetic words that Jesus had given. Those disciples knew those three prophetic words, and in three days I will rise again. But the angel here says, see, I have told you. In other words, hello, wake up. This is not new information for you. And so, he says, and Jesus says, go and tell them that I have risen. One of the most fundamental elements of being a witness of Jesus Christ and his resurrection is that we need to position ourselves to hear what he has to say. Because there are those moments In one of those evangelism training things I went through, they taught us this phrase. Those are uh, appointments that the Holy Spirit has set up for us. When God knows that an individual is particularly receptive or at a point where they're particularly receptive to the good news of Jesus Christ, and God says to us as his witnesses, now's the time, go talk to them. This was the right moment for these ladies to go back. Sometimes for us, the busyness of our schedules and the packed nature of how we schedule ourselves out leave us with very little time to pause with somebody who's ready to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So we go. When we're told... And we go and tell what we're told to tell. Now, we don't need to go to them like an attorney trying to address a jury at the end of a trial and try to get a particular decision from them. Just go and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what these ladies did. And some of those disciples didn't believe enough, they had to go see for themselves. Here's the implication of Easter for us. This is news that must be told. Our task force, Vision Task Force, has been working diligently now for about three months or so, maybe four now. One of the things that we've heard from this church through surveys and casual discussions, one of the things that we found in our research is that from the church, we've heard we need to share the gospel. We need to be evangelizing people. But one of the things we're finding in our research, and even as early, I mean, as late as this week, a Gallup poll, and we all were privy to a, a, an email that showed us a report from the Gallup organization, and that is that the world in which we live in American society is sprinting away from church and sprinting away from the claims of Jesus Christ. What this society desperately needs is not an argument to get them back into church. What they need are God's people who believe he is risen. He is risen indeed. Who really believe that enough to step out onto the front lines of society with a message of hope and a message that grows out of personal experience with the risen Lord and a message that says... Come, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and Jesus will give you rest. We don't have to look very far in Matthew's gospel to find the charge for what I just said. Right across the page, across the column actually, on my Bible, is what we call the Great Commission. And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Dallas Willard, when it came to discussing what a disciple is, said this, and I quote, Disciples of Jesus are people who do not just profess certain views as their own, but apply their growing understanding of life in the kingdom of the heavens to every aspect of Of their life on earth. If you intend to go tell somebody about Jesus Christ, be a disciple. Walk with Jesus in such a way that when you come face to face with somebody needing the good news of the resurrection, you speak from the overflow of personal experience that Jesus is in fact alive. Do you believe that? Let's pray. And so, Father, once again, we come to these passages of Scripture that really make us uncomfortable. We prefer a tame religion. We prefer a religion that we tame, that we can take out and dust off the shelf and rub it when we need certain kind of condolences and put it back on the shelf when we don't. But as we've been reminded in the music part of our service today, the truth of the resurrection is such that we don't get to make the choice about whether we take it off the shelf or not. The implication of your resurrection is that you are God, you are King, and you call the shots. You've told us that this is news that is too important not to share. So we ask you today, as we have shared the good news of Jesus Christ, that if there's any here today who do not know you on a personal level, and this experience that we've talked about today is foreign concepts to them, we pray that you would, through your Spirit, even now, pull them to life. Father, help us to believe the resurrection strongly enough that it sets a fire inside of our soul to share that message with people who are struggling through life, people who need to know the love and the life that Jesus Christ represents and gives to us. Move among us now. Change lives is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to ask you to stand. The invitation time is for you to respond in whatever way God's leading you or pushing you, if you will, nudging you, that you would personalize the good news of Jesus Christ, his love as shown on the cross, his power as shown through the resurrection, that this day would be the day that you personally came to have that personal experience with him. Maybe you need to commit yourself to being one who shares that good news. Maybe those three people that we started off talking about desperately need you to share life with them. As we sing, you come.